Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this is the show. <laughs> it's a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and will hopefully leave you truly inspired as well. My goal here is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives and through their story hopefully get inspired myself and perhaps inspire you too. If you like this show, if you enjoy listening to the show, if while you're listening to the show, you hear something that really resonates with you, the greatest thing you can do for me is to reach into your pocket uh, if you're listening on a phone and just hit the share button on whatever app you're listening to it on and tweet out a link to the show. There's also a, a predisposed tweet link on the on the website. Just click tweet and send it out or just send a link to, on, you know, to your Facebook friend that you might think, hey, you might dig this. Um, that'd be the greatest thing you can do for me is just to get the word out. Um, that'd be amazing. Thank you so much to everyone that tweeted through the week uh, about the Matt Kunitz episode. Pretty intense. If you haven't heard it, um, I highly recommend it. The guy is one of the biggest players in reality television in the world, one of the biggest producers of the biggest shows that exist. And uh, to talk with him was a true, true honor, even though we did cover some very squeamish subject matter when we talked about uh, that Fear Factor episode that NBC wouldn't air. But um, if you stick with it, you'll... I guess you'll really hear a really fascinating insight into the interior workings of such a massive, massive situation as a show that big that brings in that much revenue and a network that has that much reputation to protect. It was, uh, it was really interesting and hopefully give you an idea about what you see on television and uh, the process that has to get through to go to air. Let me tell you about my guest today. I had a chance to interview one of my all-time heroes. Uh, well, I did this back in December when I was down in Sydney working on uh, Nova in the breakfast show. Um, I interviewed Dr. Carl. He's at Dr. Carl on Twitter. This guy is, um, he's basically the science guy in Australia. He's the Bill Nye or the Neil deGrasse Tyson or the Carl Sagan all at once. Uh, he's so influential that an entry survey of University of Sydney students shows that one in seven students chose to do science as a direct result 
of Dr. Carl Kruzelnetsky. He's uh, best known, I guess, in Australia for um, doing a weekly radio show on Triple J, which is the national broadcaster. We've talked about this on the show before. And I've been listening to him since Triple J came to Brisbane in 91. He's, he's on TV. He's on radio. Uh, he's on the internet. He's published 34 books. Um, and I went to interview him one day. It was the off-season at the university. No one was around. I rode my bicycle there with my backpack and in my, in my, my ashes singlet like a you know proper Bevan. Stepping into Dr. Carl's office at the University of Sydney is incredible. If someone's environment is the visual representation of their brain, his office gives you a lot of insight. It is stacked floor to ceiling with papers, scientific papers for, for reference, because in his life, there's only one thing that matters, facts. If you've never talked to a scientist, a proper scientist or someone trained in scientific thought, it's important to realize that it can be quite confronting at times to have a discussion with them because they will only deal in verified, peer-reviewed facts proven by the scientific process and they will vehemently question anything other than that. Through the whole discussion, in fact, you'll hear me get a little confronted. He states again and again things that we'd probably rather ignore, particularly things about climate change and vaccination because... He's saying things that are based in fact, and he won't absolutely he won't speak something unless he's absolutely 100% sure it is provable by peer-reviewed science because his entire reputation and career rely on you believing what he says is reality. So keep in mind, keep that in mind as we discuss some of the more sensitive topics through our chat. I was certainly confronted. I'd like to think that I have a very open mind, but clearly I, I want to, you know, kind of just imagine that some things will just go away, like a like a rash or a dodgy mole. I'd rather not get checked up, just in case it turns out to be something sinister. But um, he proved to be a fabulous sparring partner. I love to have conversations, robust, challenging conversations. We certainly did have one here. He opens the batting with a test question. A lot of a lot of times when I've been interviewing people throughout my career, they will open with a test question, or they will have one of their people do it. Tom Cruise uh, gets his assistant to call and, and and ask you questions before you go in. It's just kind of to gauge the kind of interview that you're going to have. I won't lie. Sometimes when I'm getting interviewed about the work that I do, I will open the batting with a test. Que- I will ask the interviewer the first question just to see you know where we are. And he opens with a doozy. Um, I'd like to think I handled it okay. <laughs> you are going to love this. Uh, Normally, you get to hear Dr. Carl in a kind of very moderated soundbite kind of question and answer way, but this is a real insight to the tangents that he goes on and, and, and how he thinks, and you know, I can't wait to talk to him again. A massive thanks to the surfing scientist, Ruben Meerman, who helped me organize this. Also, Dr. Carl's incredible assistant, Caroline Pegram. Uh, both of them worked together to help me find a very precious hour in the very busy day of Dr. Carl. Find him on Twitter at Dr. Carl, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-A-R-L. Uh, while you're listening to this, if you hear something that you dig, send him a tweet, let him know. I can't wait to hear what you think about this episode. Let's go. My guest today is Dr. Carl Kruzelnitsky. We talk about how he deals with people who deny climate change, vaccination, and what can be done about it. Why psychopaths make great surgeons. Why his role model is Arnold Schwarzenegger the role of the internet in modern curiosity, how the human race will split into genetically modified and non-genetically modified people in the future, and how the mobile phone's role in our lives will become an inexorable part of human evolution.
Now, how should I pronounce your name? Ooh. It's Gins, like the poet. Just Gins? Ginsburg. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. You're not related, are you? Uh, my dad always insisted that we were. Oh, really? Yeah. Could be. Why yeah. He anglicised the spelling of his. To? With an I, G-I-N-S. And what was it? Uh, ours is G-U with a normal out. Oh, so that's Germanic. Yeah. What well, part of Pol- my grandfather's Polish. Oh, well, oh so that was because Poland has expanded and contracted and done all sorts of Truly. things. Truly. My father came down from, my grandfather came down to, to Prague and, mm-hmm. yeah, and then... In For six- me, the amazing thing about Prague, have you been there? I have been to Prague with my dad, actually. <clears throat> For me, the amazing thing about Prague is you go on the um, Charles Street Bridge and then, or the Charles Bridge and then you look up at the uh, castle on top of the hill yeah. and you go into the castle <clears throat> and their chapel is bigger than Notre Dame. Yeah. The private chapel was bigger than the Notre Dame Cathedral. Oh, man, they must have been so powerful and wealthy back the there. Prague, I remember being in the Prague Castle and... When, and this is the indoor jousting room. <laughs> they had the indoor, they would have indoor jousting oh, on the top of that hill. What a powerful empire they must have been. It could have. And then they faded. Yeah. As, as empires do. As empires tend to. We should say hello. Hello, Dr. Carl. Um, good, g'day, Dr. Gins or Guns? Ginsburg. Gins, Dr. Gins, Ginsburg. Yes. Ginsburg. So what do you think will happen with China and uh, expanding power by declaring the air, air, defense, safety, space? air defense zone? Yeah, do you think they're going to back down? I think that it's a bargaining chip, ah. as it often is with the US. But not with China, though, this uh, face. They have uh, to say well, face. Well, yeah, yeah. So I think what happened with the US uh, with the debt ceiling, I think China went, you can't be willy-nilly with this kind of stuff. You guys got to get your act together. And so they're using it to have something that they can give back. Because the Chinese are now the major holder of US debt. And that's why they were very, very upset with the debt ceiling conversations. America is a very interesting country to live in. Well, yeah, it's a funny mix. Like, uh, uh, It was a country that gave us um, breakdown of segregation and they had enforced yeah. busing. And by themselves, they looked themselves in the mirror and said, what we're doing to the black people is bad. Yeah. Let's stop it. And they did that. And they and, did. And they invented the National Parks, uh, well, along with Australia, and the f- world's first environmental protection agency and got us to the moon. And they built the Hoover Dam, which is the other thing I absolutely <laughs> love about America. Oh, yeah. That thing's amazing. The but, space program and the Hoover Dam are the two things I, I love. I haven't been to Hoover Dam. I've got to check it out. Where's that? In Hoover Dam Colorado? Is, it's, it's right on the border of, it's about 20 minutes outside of Las Vegas. It's on the Las border Vegas. of uh, Nevada and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And they basically, like, they were almost terraformers by hand. They redirected the Colorado River back inland and they transformed the entire southwest of the country into farmland through an elaborate series of hand-dug canals. Wow. And they turned desert <coughs> into farms. This was in the 30, 20s. 20s, so 20s and 30s. All that Chinatown <coughs> film, the Jack Nicholson film, that's all about that. Was it specifically to chew up labour and get out of the Depression or exactly. was it long-term planning? It was both, both. And you go inside it and what's amazing about it, it's very high. You iron go inside? Ra- yeah, you go inside the Hoover Dam into the generator room. And you, you go inside you, it, wow. You go, yeah, my brother and I went and you go into, um, you know, like you go into big industrial things and they look very, very industrial. Yeah. You go in there and they have, it's just such pride in what they were building. Like there's incredible terrazzo floors and ah. like all the moldings and all the handles in the, like the main operating generator room. It's like, it's an art gallery. It's like, here's this thing that's going to save our country. And the, the generators are hand wound and it's, it's astonishing to be in the room. 
Oh, wow. I, I had a bit of that the other day when I was in a restaurant in, in Melbourne and it used to be a garage and it had this beautiful brickwork that was built in the late 20s and 30s and it was, the top of the brickwork was alternate cream and orange and it was all glazed and beautiful and wow. it was just pride of worksmanship. It was gorgeous. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, shucks. I'm, I'm happy to find somebody who likes machinery. I, I love it. machinery. I'm, I'm a big fan of industrialization <laughs> or industrialized well, it can do infrastructure. Good stuff. Although we're doing bad stuff now with the carbon yeah. dioxide. It's not great. But no, there's ways around it. Uh, the trouble is it's getting more expensive. The longer we delay, like um, the insurance companies knew about it first and could see the effects of it and were charging more for it in 1977. I want to talk all about that. Well, I've been reading a document by Munich Ray. Now, the thing about the insurance companies is they don't care about the rhetoric. They're just straight, show me the money. And so with tobacco... While the medical profession was getting the data in, there were still doctors saying, oh, no, I give all my patients who have asthma cigarettes, and I smoke a packet myself every day, even though the data was pretty damn solid. And the insurance company said, no, it's not pretty damn solid. It's 100% solid. We're charging smokers more to buy life insurance. And so they've been doing this since 1977, and the scientific community was saying, okay, okay, we, we, we're pretty sure, we're 100% sure it's reliable in 1988 when James Hansen stood up in Congress. And since then, the IPC has gone a bit wussy because they don't want to be accused of being too revolutionary. But basically, climate change is real. We cause it. It's going to be bad, and we knew this for sure since 1980, 1988, 1977, sometime around then. So why are we stuffing around now putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere? Why aren't we on a war footing to fight it back? I don't have the answer to this question, but I did want to talk to you about this among many other things. But um, okay, you, How about you do the interview and I'll, I'll, I'll No, that's back. okay. Well, while we're talking about climate change, you, you ran for the Senate on the Climate Change Coalition. You left out the word unsuccessfully. You... I, <laughs> You ran. Uh, I didn't want to tell people how it ended up. Badly. Uh, well, not badly. It was, uh, firstly, I got an ex education. Let me emphasize expensive education. Yeah. And out of the six, 782,000 votes, I got 40-something thousand votes, the overwhelming majority under the line. And if you know anything about voting, uh, for people to – they said it was the highest number of under-the-line votes that they'd ever seen. And so people sought out my name and found me. But the trouble was we could only afford ads at 3 o'clock in the morning for yeah. $5,000 for 30 seconds between abdominizer ads and the born-again fundamentalist gun-toting Christians from Texas or Ohio. Well, I want to talk about them too. Now, I did want to ask you this because yeah. – you are a very educated man. You're a, a, I'm a, highly educated, but not that smart. Philip Adams is less educated, but smarter. <laughs> okay. Education and smartness are independent. They're orthogonal. I also wanted to talk to you about that because I have a fear of universities. Um, oh, that's okay. What? Because I get completely confounded when mm -hmm. I meet people who say climate change isn't real. How do you, as a scientist, deal uh, with that? I'm not a scientist. I'm an ex-scientist. As someone who looks at the world with a scientific mind, yeah. how do you deal with someone who just says, no, it's not real? Um, try to understand where they're coming from. Uh, so far, there's some very robust research that shows that as a result of the one quarter of a century of concerted and unified and robust staying on message disinformation, as a result of that, and also the George C. Marshall Institute in Washington, D.C., and read the book by Naomi Oreskes called The Merchants of Doubt. So as a result of a quarter of a century of a very solid campaign, people who are right-wing will automatically doubt 
anything about climate change that says that the, the claims that climate change is real because it's going to be happening. So there you have a straight link between a voting policy and a belief, which to me is irrelevant because climate change is not about belief, it's about date. People say, oh, do you believe in climate change? No, I accept the science. In the same way, I accept the science that if you get some iron, well, it's pretty hard to work with, chuck a bit of carbon in there, turns into steel, it's really good. Nobody ever denies the science of metallurgy. Um, so how do I feel about it? I'm vaguely confused. I'm trying to understand people's mindset as to why they would do this. So there are certain Australian broadcasters who deny the science of it, and I've, I don't know what their frame of mind is. Is it that they genuinely believe uh, that the scientists are all wrong, or do they say, look, the science is real, but I just want to be a shock jock and create lots of um, uh, controversy and therefore get lots of audience, or do they simply not care? I, I, I have um, <clears throat> one colleague I worked with over the years who I put in that third category, and no matter what is the accepted science, this person, he or she, will go against it. And so recycling is bad. Uh, the Americans never did anything bad in Vietnam with Agent Orange. Um, uh, mining companies are doing good stuff all the time. Uh, fracking is good and has never caused any problems with water. And no matter what there is accepted science on, this person will go against the accepted science simply to create a headline. So their whole goal in life is to create a headline and any morality is irrelevant. I'm still trying to work out why. That's a very deep question. You ask me, what, what, what do I feel? It's complicated. Well, that's why I asked you. Yeah. Because it, it would confound – I get confounded and I don't have any close, <coughs> close to the amount of facts or data that you have on the thing. Uh, and it must just befuddle you. I, the only thing that I can come close to is when I meet people who are anti-vaccine. And mm. both my parents are doctors and we grew up learning all about vaccines and, and, and this is very much in our conversation. When I, meet people who do, when I meet people who refuse to vaccinate their kids, I'm like, why would you put everyone else in the community at risk? And yourself. It's the cold equations. You've got a tiny, tiny, tiny chance of having a reaction and an overwhelmingly good, good chance that you'll be saved the bad effects. And I was actually there in the kids' hospital in uh, 1990, 1990, when the first baby to die for 20 years from whooping cough died in Australia. And it didn't have to die. It was only because uh, a TV show on a network, so at that time it was Channel 9 and ACCA, Current Affair, decided that they would pay equal weight to each side of the vaccine discussion. There's no debate. It's not a debate. There's not a debate. The, the, the science is in. So it was curious. You, I was just thinking of the word debate. I read an article uh, in The Australian by one of the senior editors of The Australian say, look, every time we have an article uh, debunking climate change, we also have an article in favour of it. Well, number one, firstly, the size of the articles and their locations are very different. Number two, really? One for one? So every time the Chinese launch a spacecraft, or anybody, so you remember a little while ago there was the Chinese spacecraft launched towards the moon, mm -hmm. going to get there on the middle of December. Did they, at the same time, in the interest of balance, run an article saying, well, look, actually, let me just set you straight on this, there is no space. Basically, God put an alabaster dome over the earth. It's ivory, actually. Covered it with blue carpet. And when you look up at night, all you see are the fireflies that live in the carpet. Do they run that article every time there is an article on astronomy? 
No. Every time that they talk, they mention steel, do they say, oh, no, no, it's nothing to do with a couple of percent of carbon that turns iron into steel. It's actually the squashed up babies and the, pray be, and, and the prayers that we make. We have to sacrifice the babies because otherwise we couldn't build skyscrapers. Do they run out of that article? No. So why is it that only with climate change, out of all of the other ologies that exist on the earth, I don't see them going against geology. I don't see them going against biology. It's just climate change. That and that alone is their only science with which they wish to create disinformation and, by the way, with which they have succeeded in creating disinformation. Does it scare you? Um, I don't know what you mean by scare. Well, when you think about... Me, the... personally, I will not suffer. But when, I, when you in... think about your kids when your kids are your age? Uh, my kids will be in a wealthy country somewhere in the world and won't suffer. The ones I worry about uh, are the small number of South Pacific nations that will vanish because they're fairly wide islands but not very high and so there's a concept of a lens of fresh water and a small rise in ocean level shrinks the lens enormously and basically those nations are going to vanish as inhabitable islands unless of course they can get their fresh water from somewhere else, some other energy supply, but then storms will knock them over as well. So, and Bangladesh... Bangladesh concerns me because you've got 50% of the population living under five metres above sea level. And this ocean where, well, the last time carbon dioxide levels were this high, the water levels were about 15 metres higher. There's a lag in the system. We're heading to 15 metres. It'll be one metre this century if you don't account for the positive feedback loops. If you do, five to seven metres this century. Um, and yet uh, they're saying, no, everything's fine. Water levels are going down. Um, nothing to worry about. And it's going to, we can fix it. At this stage, we've gone past the stage where we can fix it merely by not putting any more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. What we're going to have to do is, number one, not put any more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and two, make machines <clears throat> to suck carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere. Is that work going on? No. None of it's going on. There is no country in the world that is on a full-out footing to reduce their carbon emissions to zero. Australia, we're in a unique position because we have a, a huge surface area and a small population and we can get all of our energy entirely from renewables. We could then develop this uh, technology and sell it around the world. That would account for making electricity for half of our carbon dioxide. Then we have the problem with uh, mobile fuels, hydrocarbons. That's okay, no worries. We can change that by going over to hydrogen economy. I mean, think back to Mrs. Bertha Benz. And uh, after her husband, I forget his first name, had invented the motor car, I don't know what the conversation went like. It was probably, hi, honey, I've invented this thing. I call it the Benz motor car. And I don't know. And she said something like, good, I'm going to visit my mother. There were no roads. <laughs> right? There were wheeled, there were tracks for carts, but there were no roads as we know them. There was not a single petrol station in the world. So what she did was ordered a whole bunch of drums of benzene from the local pharmacist, load them into the car, and then took off. Uh, on the way, as you find out on these shakedown cruises, the brakes went, she cut her handbag, I can't, uh, conflicting reports, she either cut her handbag up, her leather handbag or her leather coat, and made a new set of brakes. Or, fr or friction material, and then got back. So we've had fuel stations, petrol stations, for a century only. They, they weren't here when God invented the world 
six thousand years ago or whenever <laughs> it happened, right? Yeah. They, they, and in the same way, we can move away from hydrocarbon fuels to hydrogen fuels. So that brings us up to sixty-five percent, and then of our carbon emissions are gone. And, and and not not one nation on Earth is doing this. They will do it when something bad happens because we humans are geared up to respond to emergencies, not what is important. We do tend to wait until... It's too late. Yeah, unfortunately. So I'm well, sitting... Well, we're doing it now. Um, we are in, in your office in the University of Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, which is plastered wall-to-wall with enormous amounts of excellence. Um, uh, and, and tape on the windows to stop the asbestos from the knockdown building coming in. That'll do it. That's Yeah, well, just physically keep it away. So now we're heading across the road for a world centre in nanotechnology. Oh, magnificent. Mm. You have... Um, I'm sitting next to uh, a copy of your book, Game of Knowns, 34th book. Number 34. I should autograph it for you. I regard this book as my um, handbook for the 21st century. Now, I haven't had a chance to read it. I had a glimpse. What? In the three minutes you came in the door? I'm, afraid, slack, I'm afraid not, my friend. Um, but there is a few things that I did want to ask you about. I know you must get talked about this a lot, but mm-hmm. it's something that I've noticed in my work uh, over the years. I've I've stayed my age. I've always my age, but everybody I work with gets younger, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I'm not getting older. Everyone I work with gets younger. So there was a time when I was working at Channel V, the music television station. Yeah. By the time I left there, everybody I was working with was like 16, mm-hmm. like all of the people that we were talking to on the phone and, and the audience was 16. So everyone's getting younger. And I noticed more and more and more and more the nature of what it is to be curious has changed. Ah, so you're an immortal like Doctor Who and the earthlings sort of wash around you well, like a tide. It's the same with you. You, you, don't, you. The world changes around you. you know, I don't really change. I just get things. It's harder to get up off the floor. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, but I've noticed that the nature of curiosity has changed. And I was wondering about your thoughts around that. Like, No, oh, the concept of I haven't thought about that, but uh, it's easy to satisfy, but only in a superficial way. It is satisfied in the sense that they will ask anybody for an answer and whatever it is, that answer will be accepted because they do not realise that in general the internet is as reliable as the drunk guy in the foyer of the shopping mall covered with sores and and a homeless guy with dogs licking his wounds and a couple of empty bottles of liquid around him of alcohol trying to give you bits of paper. And if you get one bit of paper, you think, oh, that's all crap. But if you get it 20 times, you think, oh, well, it must be true because he's given me 20 bits of paper instead of one. So curiosity is the nature of curiosity is changing in the sense that of of people trying to find the real answers. People are satisfied with, with the first thing they find on Google. Yeah. Yes. The reason the sky is blue is because God covered the sky, the alabaster sky, with blue carpet, and then he he, he changes the dye covering from day and night. Angels go and do it. How. How has it? I mean, I have the entire sum of human knowledge in my hand. It is amazing that we can do that. Like I've been here in this university from 1995. When I started, if I wanted a paper, a scientific paper, I would have to then go to the library. And luckily, we're in the biggest library in the Southern Hemisphere. However, if it was not there, have to go and find a telex machine, put out a telex request, find the library in the world that had it, send them 50 bucks, somebody to go into the shelves, photocopy it usually badly, fax it usually badly, three days later I'd have it. Now I can have it on my smartphone, for money of course, but I can have it within 90 seconds. I can have, well actually, once I know what I want I can have it, but to find it sometimes takes 15, 20 hours. Uh, so for me to write my stories normally takes 15 or 20 hours each story because I don't believe the first thing I find. Yeah, right. So, but the, in, the information is there, but people won't do it. And I think of the model of 
but I have as my moral and inspirational model Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Who, uh, I'm going to give you a question without notice, right? You ready for it? Sure. Okay. Uh, how did Arnold Schwarzenegger get his muscles? Option one, lie on the lounge, watching TV, drinking beer, scratching his groin and hoping he got fit. Or number two, go to the gym. Pick one. I would say number two. He went to the gym, right. So how can you know anything without trying? <laughs> hey, it says the sky is made of blue carpet. Must be right. Right. Because I did want to ask you, as people, I mean, surely people can realize that they're not getting, they're not getting the true answer sometimes. Like, no. how, how can I, someone who dropped out of university after six weeks of part-time study because it was too hard, mm-hmm. how can I, in my day-to-day, try and be a little smarter about how I, how I read about things? Um, you can trust institutions or individuals. So, in Google, there is a whole range of things that you can try, images and calendars and stuff. And then over on the right-hand side, it says more, and you click on more, <coughs> and there's another whole range of Google products. And then you, at the right-hand side, it says more, and you click more, and down halfway in the big list, you find Google Scholar. That accesses the peer-reviewed literature. The trouble is, it takes me an average of an hour to read a paper. Um, to understand it and put it in context, it's hard. Um, how can people be sure trust the people who I don't know, I don't know how can you trust people? I mean, if you trust the Australian, you'd be believing lies about climate change. If you trust the George C. Marshall Institute in Washington D.C., you'd be believing lies. That's a hard question. There's not an easy answer for that. Especially so with journalists not being paid and journalism itself not being revered, and education no longer being respected. I, uh, I try as hard as I can to I, – I pay for my journalism mm. on, online. I yeah. tend to not believe anything I read uh, on the free news website. You have done well, Grasshopper. <laughs> the first step has been taken. Yeah, because I think it's really important. And certainly reading about, there's a, a book by a guy called Ryan Holiday called Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator. And wow, that sounds fantastic. Hang, hang on, mate, hang you'll love it. Hang on, hang on. If you've ever Trust read Trust Ryan? Tr- Ryan Holiday, as in, you know, you're about to take her. One L? Uh, yes. Um, and Trust Me, I'm Lying. Confessions of a Media Manipulator. Right. He, um, if you've ever read a news article online about how disgusting the latest American apparel campaign is, oh, it's nearly porn, mm-hmm. I can promise you. He's like, I put it there. I put it on this lowly blog down here, signed in as four different user identities, commented in outrage, went to the next blog up the chain, commented to them going, look at this story. It's getting traction. This person sees that story, sees his four comments going, it must be true, reblogs it, goes up, 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 up. 72 hours later, he's on the front page of the Daily Mail. 
Well, that's a fine non-peer-reviewed journal. Well, but this is, but this is as you're saying, this is what people are seeing as news. And, and then here, the second part of the book, he goes into how Politico um, basically created a Republican candidate. Who did? Politico. It's a website. It's a news website. Politico. They created in a Republican... The in the US. Right, but worldwide, of course. They created a Republican candidate by simply putting a journalist to travel around with this one Republican guy. And because they were just creating so much content about him and these news blogs need to blog 40 times a day to keep their feeds up, they were like, well, we'll just reblog this thing because that's fresh. Everything else is two days old. It doesn't matter what it is. And because it was so much volume of clicks on this guy, the search results went up. And so he actually ended up on the ballot. This, they created Who was that? I can't remember his name for in, the life. In the state or federal? in the US in the last election, yeah. A federal? Yes, sir. Wow. And he, so he, the whole book goes into like, beware of what you're seeing online and beware of these news, uh, news blogs because this is how easy it is to manipulate. Oh. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. People don't realize. Yeah. It's, I didn't realize that that was the precise path by, way by which they went, but I knew there was some sort of whole bunch of people pushing their candidate forward. Well, it's all got to do with volume and that these blogs have just a ravenous appetite to, and they'll repost anything. If it looks like it's vaguely worthwhile, they'll reblog mm. it without even checking the facts. Well, on my Twitter feed... Which is at Dr. Carl, D-O-C-T-O-R, K-A-R-L. And 200,000 followers. I will look at anything 99.999% of the time before I retweet it. Is that maybe been five times out of many, many tweets that I haven't checked out because I trusted it. But normally I'll actually read it just in case they got the wrong emphasis. Or the emphasis mm. on the syllables. <laughs> Which is the problem. There's so much I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but there's a, there's a thing in the book that I, wanted to, I particularly wanted to bring up. What are your thoughts on how mobile phones are changing people, changing society? Um, originally I was against it. Now I'm in favour of the fact that we're going with it so we may as well just go with it as part of our evolution. Where we are now is you and I both have a life expectancy probably four, well, I have a life expectancy about four times uh, my age when I reach my sexual peak and physical peak. You have got a higher one. You could probably live for maybe, depending if the genetic stuff comes through in time, 5,000 years. If the once we get over this extremely un, and unnecessarily expensive climate change thing, I, I can see that we'll control our, our evolution. And you're saying, what are you talking about? This is to do with phones, right? It is, and I can see the human race splitting itself into different branches. Not not saying we shall have a referendum and we shall decide what we'll, we'll, we'll split. People will just do it, and then the market as an example of market forces. You know, the market is perfect. That that kind of thing. Are you talking about the kind of the Ray Kurzweil singularity concept? The opposite of the singularity. I disagree with him on the singularity. So the back. Okay, can you just explain the singularity for the audience? Oh, Ray Kurzweil. That? He's one of my favourite inventors. He helped Stevie Wonder create um, uh, songs in the key of life, and he's an amazing guy. But he believes that eventually uh, humans and computers will fuse. Yes. Uh, through just uh, like, oops, Daisy, this thing in my, I now have a, a carbon fiber bone, mm -hmm. no longer a skeletal bone, and mm -hmm. it can move and change. It's through 4D printed, so it grows as I grow. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, we may as well put another thing in there. And before I know it, I'm part cyborg. Mm -hmm. um, and just slowly, slowly, the computers will get so small and tap straight into my neural net that I won't even need to um, Google anything. I'll just think about but it. But what will the computers will do to us? Well, that's his. That's the thing. He's saying that they'll do bad things. Uh, he'll, he's saying they'll do good things. Okay. Well, as long as he says they're doing good things, I agree with him. I thought he said they do bad things. Oh no, he says he says they'll do good things. He's firmly. The, the, he gets a bit kooky 
where the the film he's in a film called The Transcended Man. He gets a bit kooky in that he's planning to resurrect his father and reimplant the memories of his father in uh, an, uh, a cyborg. How will he have those memories? Uh, that's he get the, that's he's going to reconstruct them out of some. That's hard. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the memory of the day you first went to school, yeah, your first yeah. kiss, the first smell of your girlfriend. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. Okay, so yes, in January this year, oh, that's 2013, by the way. Um, we're in December now. In January 13, there was an article in the Scientific American about how they'd worked out a way, they, the scientists had worked out a way to satisfactorily marry electricity in a wire, which is electrons being pushed in and other electrons being pushed out the other end, to electricity in a nerve, which is a completely form of electricity, which is basically a depolarization of the negative potential, which is sustained by sodium pumps. Look it up. Anyhow, we've worked out a way to do this reliably. So on with him, that we will have a mobile phone, which will be the size of a grain of sand. It'll get its power from the juices in your body, no external battery, it'll be buried next to a nerve. It'll talk to the internet via electromagnetic radiation through your skin to the nearest tower, and it'll talk to your brain via the nerves. And so you'll think, I want to talk to Carl, and you'll just be talking to me on the phone. I'll be talking to you. Don't know what happens when you have erotic dreams or pocket calls. That's a whole different thing. Let's just leave that for another day. And I can see that happening in 15 years. Another 15 years after that, we'll get the technology to do vision. So you can access your... Facebook page or the equivalent, whatever it is, but it will appear in your field of view. And so with regard to this technology, I don't see the main issue as Moore's law, which is the doubling of the density of the electronic components from 1945 to now and on into the future. Law put out by Gordon Moore, set up Intel, came up with the law in 1965. And isn't it part of the law as well that it, it halves in price? Yeah, well? yeah. Oh, it goes very much cheaper. Yeah. Everything gets smaller and cheaper and faster and more powerful. For me, that's the essential mechanical background, but it's not what's important. What's important is that we become more like computers and computers become more like us and that we will be married together. So as a result of this, mobile phones will change the way we think. Now this gets complicated. In the book, I deal with a very superficial story, which is uh, that if you – have you read or Game of Thrones? I know of the show, yes. Have you seen it? I have seen all episodes. All of it. I've only seen half of the first series, so tell me if I'm right. It gets bloody. Uh, Most people die. Okay, so so it's a pseudo-medieval universe Mm -hmm. with a cast of thousands, most of whom are related to each other, most of whom are evil and will kill the small number of non-evil people or other evil people uh, just for for fun, with blood, and if they're walking down the street and there's a horse, I'll chop its head off just for no good reason. There's a bit of that, yeah. Okay, number one. Number two, most of the Lannisters are blonde? Yes, sir. Number three, they have incredibly gymnastic sex of a variety that if I was doing it, my eyeballs would be rolling around my head and I wouldn't be able to move and I'd be covered in sweat. Whereas they say, so do you think that the follow-through on the Darjeeling tea is better than on English breakfast with regard to having it in the morning? Or do you think we should leave it because of the slight tannin flavour? But Or should we go for the bergamot oil? In, uh, so they discuss it. Uh, they can have an entirely intellectual discussion after eye-rolling sex. Uh, yes, they have that. That's the book. Right. Yeah, and and the, the direwolves are really cool because yeah. they're intelligent, yeah. telepathic and faithful dogs. Uh, they're beasts. They're not. They're giant. They're as high as my shoulder. Oh, they haven't been, got that far yet. And the other good thing is that nobody smokes cigarettes. Am I right on that? That's correct. Okay. Got no problems with it. So my book is called after that, Game of uh, Knowns. I, I knew I'd chosen a good role model without actually 
doing all my homework. Um, and the story is in this book, Game of Knowns, that um, you get a couple of people or psychology students who are close enough to human beings and you pair them off at random and you say, go into a room and talk and blow me down, there's a couple of chairs there. They sit down in the chairs, they face each other and they're directed to talk about something important that happened to them in the last month. So that immediately gets you into the, oh, okay, something important and deep. Now there's a table on the side. Sometimes there's a book. No worries, have a deep conversation. Sometimes there's a mobile phone. No deep conversation. Very shallow. They're out waiting for a better offer. They can't concentrate. And so talking about evolution and talking about the concentration thing, uh, I see that via genetic engineering we'll change ourselves that we can, for example, live on the 70% of our earth. Wrong name, earth. Should be called water because it's 70% water. So we mutate, we gen genetically engineer ourselves that we have brains and bodies like dolphins with arms. So that way we can work stuff. And then we'll notice that in the last 11 years we have destroyed half of the coral cover on the planet. Great book by Callum Roberts, The Ocean of Life. Read it and weep. Um, but we have to do something about it. Or we will genetically engineer ourselves to be fully wired up so the phone will be inside us. Or some of us will say, bugger this for a joke, I'm going to go and sow and reap and wear clothes that I've woven out of rough calico and live on a farm. And, 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 and there'll be people living on Mars without wearing spacesuits. So they'll be genetically engineered. So the human race will splinter into many different sub-varieties, all gathered together by the one concept that we can still talk to each other, whatever mode of communication it is, and therefore we count as human. And this then has a background on it of the Flynn effect. You've heard of the Flynn effect? John Flynn, University of Otago? Okay, human intelligence is going up by nine points every uh, generation. So the good thing is that you are nine points smarter than your parents. The bad side is your kids will be smarter than you by yeah. nine points. But um, so it turns out intelligence is not just simply something that you generate, that you're born with, but it's something you're born with and it depends on how you act in your life. It depends on how you have been trained. For example, in Australia, by the age of 18, the children of wealthier parents have heard a million more words than the children of poor parents. And so this means that they get trained. And if you go back to the year 1900, only 3% of the jobs on the planet involved thinking. So our intelligence is rising. So we are changing our evolution as we go down different pathways. When you, now, when you talk about us all being connected... Some, some will choose to be connected. Well, I'm, the, okay, I'm happy the people the that can afford to be connected... The price will come down because it'll be good for business. So let me put this to you. Mm. What if once we are all connected like this, we experience what the uh, astronauts have called the overview effect and we suddenly realise, oh, we're all one. Mm. Oh, my God, I have to help my friend in Bangladesh not die in this flood. Let's fix this. Um, luckily for this effect or unluckily, 1% of the population are psychopaths, as it says in my book. <laughs> unluckily. So your psychopath is your person who does whatever they want, has absolutely no guilt, no remorse. And what happens to them in life depends upon the background of a couple of factors. Their willpower, uh, their intelligence and their violence, their tendency to violence. So if they have no tendency to violence, they're not really smart, you've got a burglar. 
If they have a tendency to violence, but they're not really smart, small-time gangsters beat you up, uh, steal your handbag, steal your wallet. Smarts and in tendency to intelligence, fire officer, state emergency services, mastermind criminal, um, SAS, cops, who know how to rein it in. I mean, you catch a thief to catch, uh, you, you set a thief to catch a thief, right? Uh-huh. And if they're not violent, but they are intelligent and a psychopath, surgeons. Classic case of making those cold, brutal decisions and not feeling any remorse. I had to do it. And I had that, I had a bit of that experience yesterday when I was doing a Skype with some school kids and also CEOs of big companies, uh-huh. right? Uh, so I had a, when I was doing a Skype with some school kids and I was telling them some of the stories of the hospital and uh, moderated for the fact they were primary school kids. And they thought, oh, that's so sad. And I was saying, no, they didn't die. They'd be really sad. They lived. But they were seeing the sadness of the fact that they'd been to hospital and they'd suffered before coming out completely healed on the other side. Right. And, and so there's different ways of looking at the world. It's funny and when you just mentioned that. I see that a bit in my folks. They have mm. that detachment a little. You They're have both, to have it. They, as doctors, they both have to have it. You that. have to have the detachment because if you get emotionally involved, you won't be able to make the best decision, Yeah. which is a shame. You've got to have, but then you switch off and you get emotionally involved, but then you don't make clinical decisions at that time. We um rapidly running out of time, Dr. Carl. Ah. That's okay. I have... What, God has used up all the seconds in the universe? And no, no, no. There, are, no. there were no seconds until man decided there were seconds. There's well, that, that's a... I actually ran that past a very clever guy, Marcus Chown, and we had him on the radio the other day. Uh, and um, was it Marcus Chown in England? Who do we have at the other end of the line? No, Simon Singh. We had Simon Singh doing one of my radio shows, the BBC one. I said, okay, Simon, what's the latest? Is time real? Is mathematics real? Or did we create it? Does it exist by itself or did we create them? And he said, well, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we created time and mathematics. And on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it exists without us. Pick one. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, You are a a fascinating man. You're a a living national treasure in this country. Along with Clive Palmer. Don't forget me and Clive. We're buddies. I haven't got any dinosaurs though. But you do spend a lot of it, a lot of time in the outback, which unlike many Australians, you spend a lot of time in the outback and mm. you have a love for the Australian desert. What do you love about the outback? Um, I didn't know what I'd love, but what I love is um, a really shallow thing, uh, which is that you have an early dinner and then you lie on the ground sheet with a family um, with some blankets on you and a cup of wine or a cup of hot chocolate. And as the sun goes down, you spend the first hour and a half looking for uh, satellites. You see about 20 or 30. 30, and the second hour and a half, you look for um, meteors and you see about 30 and then you go to bed. That's it. It's really dumb, isn't it? No, but you no. got a, you got a horizon to horizon view and it's just amazing. And I remember one night I was in the Simpson Desert on my second or third trip there and I just woke up for no good reason in the middle of the night. I thought, well, I was in a swag. Yeah. Should we do, could you describe a swag for a swag our swag is like, a, a, like an expanded sleeping bag with a built-in mattress that protects you from the elements that we throw on the back of a pickup truck and, and drive around. Right, and it's canvas and it's waterproof. Yeah. And I've got, I've got a two-person swag. It's like swag. a roll-out tent. Yeah, it's a, sort of a canvas waterproof sleeve with yeah. a zipper down the middle around a – it's a mini tent. It's, it's around a mattress. And I put on my glasses because I don't have to wear glasses. And I just looked at the sky for about 30 seconds and suddenly this humongous – 
ball of light came through slowly as a fireball. Not, not, not a full fireball. It wasn't that slow. I, I haven't seen a full fireball, but it was better than an ordinary meteor. And it just split. And then I took off my glasses and thought, all is well with the world. And I went back to sleep. So I like the travel and, and, and the solitude and the... Um, so, for example, when we travelled, okay, for a bit of uh, reference for overseas travellers, people who don't know Australia, 40% of Australia is, Australia is roughly the size of the USA, and so 40% of Australia is classified as desert because it's got less than 200 millimetres of rain a year, and another 40% is too dry to grow anything on. So 80% of Australia you can't grow anything on. And people don't live there. 80% of the population live in the five festering soils that we call cities scattered on the coast. And so for our biggest trip, we started off at Alice Springs, went west for, that's in the middle of Australia, went west for a thousand kilometres, turned right, went north for a thousand kilometres, saw one group of travellers, one, one, one bunch of human beings for half an hour, one day in a month. For the rest of that month, did not see any other human beings, did not see any buildings built by human beings for a month. Had to carry our own fuel, which is about 600 litres or American would be about 150 gallons, um, and drank our way through one and a half tonnes of water, which we got by going to a well every second or third day and chucking the bucket down and getting the well, getting topping up our tanks. And when we took off from Alice Springs, we weighed five and a quarter tonnes and about a tonne of that was liquid. Wow. And I love the other, it's just so beautiful. Sometimes it's so heartbreakingly gorgeous that you just want to stop and weep. Uh, it's just it's so wonderful. When I'm out there, I, I feel that when I'm walking around the city uh, here in Sydney or in Los Angeles, wherever I am, I, I feel I have a sense of power. Mm-hmm. When I'm in the outback, I feel so Hang tiny. On. Wait a sec. What do you mean by the outback? Give, Alice Springs is not outback. Um, okay. The furthest that I've been out was, uh, it was an Aboriginal community about probably about two and a half hours uh, along a dirt track. Out of? Uh, out, out, like, out, way out west of, of, of Alice Springs. Could you buy a liquid milk there or was it uh, no, 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 no. I took a photo of it. We passed a big red sign that says, warning, there's no gas for the next 800 kilometres. Yeah, okay. Don't go past okay, here. Okay, that, that counts. And we went past there. If, if, if you can buy um, liquid petrol, uh, sorry, if you can buy, sorry, I'm distracted by my daughter talking to me. Take two. If you can buy liquid milk, you're not in the outback. And if you can buy fuel, you're not in the outback. Right, yeah, it was far away. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing, though. I've never uh, felt so it is ama- What was uh, weird for me was the switching off of the engine at the end of a day. Because we travelled 40 kilometres in the morning, 40 kilometres in the afternoon, have a long lunch in the heat of the day, which is about 48 degrees centigrade. What's that, about 100? Uh, double and add 32. So that's... 120 or something. 120 something. Death Valley, yeah. Yeah. Um, And we were drinking 50 litres of water a day between three adults and two babies. Uh, Alice was uh, six weeks old. No, 12 weeks old. We just had her vaccinated. Little Carl was two years old. And just switching off the engine at the end of the day thinking, if the engine doesn't start, we're stuffed because all we've got is the water with us. And it was only every third day that we'd switch off the engine at a well and then we knew we could survive for a couple of weeks. But uh, otherwise we'd go through our water in a week or so. There is so much that I want to talk to you about. I've listened to you on the radio my whole life and uh, unfortunately we've run out of time. But I'm just so grateful you made time for this. Ah, we should do it again. Let us do the... Mushi ceremony. Mushi, mushi. No, Maishi ceremony. What's the Maishi ceremony? The exchanging of the business cards. Now, just for the um, 
benefit of the listeners, I've got my card in my hands. I'm now extending it with two hands, holding the top corner towards my friend here. He's now accepting with two hands. He knows that if he puts it in a pocket near his buttocks, I am insulted. What he has to do, what we now have to do, I'll now accept his card. Hang on, hang on. I'm accepting, I'm accepting... Mr. Dr. Ginza's card. Now, I'm accepting your card, and I'm looking at the card, and now, by the way, for the Meishi ceremony, we should now have, but we don't have time, a 15-minute conversation on anything except business. And at the end of 15 minutes, then we get the cards, and we say, looking at each other in the eye, thank you for this, I shall treasure this, and we put it inside a little leather folder, and then we put that inside a container in our shirt pocket. And if you don't have a shirt pocket near your heart, you cannot do business in Japan. <laughs> I shall treasure this. Ah, I shall treasure yours more. Don't but you said it first, so you win. Ohayou uh, gozaimasu. That's all I know. That's good morning. Mushi mushi. Itadakimasu, which means I shall eat now. <laughs> I'm going to take your photograph. Yes, let's do the photo. Very quickly. Um, and I'll have to pick a, up my daughter. On a vintage Polaroid camera. What? Really? Now, they, they stopped making Polaroid from her. They started making it again. I heard that uh, they had. Fuji make it. But we'll talk really? about this because Edwin Land is one of my favorite inventors. I love the way that he came up with the uh, do, do, double color theory and the way he was involved with the military and did all that amazing stuff. We and they really do- need to talk more. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Carl, at Dr. Carl on Twitter, you can find him. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-K-A-R-L on Twitter. And his website is doctor, as in D-R, Carl, dot com. Sir? Sir. It's an honor and a privilege. Uh, and PG Keen, likewise. That, my friends, was Dr. Carl. Find him on Twitter at Dr. Carl, D O C T O R K A R L. What an amazing guy. Tweet him, let him know you heard him here. Um, and if you like the show, if you liked anything you heard, if, you, if, if it's for you, pick up your phone um, that you're listening to this on, or if you're listening online, just click share on the, on the app that you're listening to and just tweet out a link or put it on Facebook that you're listening to the show. Um, that'd be the greatest thing that you could possibly do for me. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Big things are on the way on this show. Um, uh, I can't talk about it too much, but uh, there's uh, 2014 is looking very, very good. I'm working with some really interesting people on, on making what we do here uh, much bigger uh, for the betterment of all, which will be fantastic. Um, I want to thank you all for, for listening. Uh, thanks, everyone who came into my life this week for being in my life this week it was really really good it was a good week it was a challenging week but um it was ace it was really ace um working on some really interesting things here in la and i hope i can tell you about them in the very 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 near future um until then uh Please, if you have any questions, find me on Twitter at Osher Ginsberg, O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. Uh, I know I accidentally blocked a lot of you on Twitter. If that's the case, just pop me a message on Instagram and, um, and I'll unblock you. I'm doing it one by one. Slowly, slowly, we'll, we'll get you 19,000 people back. Look, uh, whatever you do this week, have a really great time. You know, do wonderful things. Uh, do something different every day. Yeah, I like that. Do something new every day. It's the way to rewire your brain. It's the best way to get neuroplasticity happening is to do have a new experience every day. Uh, failing that, or in addition to that, I really hope you sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Thanks for being here. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 